Well, let's look at Luke chapter 5 and verses 12 through 16 this morning. A very important healing that takes place, a very memorable healing within the gospel accounts. We have before us the faith of a disobedient leper. Let's begin there with verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And he saw Jesus and fell on his face and begged. He begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to him, and he, gathered to, to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Leprosy was a disease that was absolutely terrifying in the ancient world. It is still a disease now that is terrifying to many people in this world. Hundreds of thousands of people get this disease each and every year, and it tends to attack people most specifically in third world countries and in the area of Asia most specifically. Leprosy in the first century amongst the Jewish people was something that was destructive to your life, both physically and socially. Someone who was found to have leprosy would be put out of the city, was put out into the outer limits. No longer could they dwell with their friends. No longer could they fellowship with their family. These relationships that had been in their lives for so many years, that had been cultivated, were no more. They had to stay far off. No longer could they work in their original occupation. Many times those with leprosy were left to themselves. They were left to depend upon the charity of others who would leave rations for them outside of the city. No longer were they allowed to have contact with anyone who wasn't a leper. So serious was it that as they walked about, if someone were to come near them, they had to put their hand over their face and they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. There's many different forms of leprosy, but one of the most common begins to demonstrate itself with, with white spots upon the skin, oftentimes upon the face and the hands. And as it begins to change, blood begins to not flow to these areas as it should, and it begins to have a bit of a scaly appearance. And, and over time, parts of the body begin to die and fall off. Along with the unsightliness of this disease, it is one that attacks the body from the inside out. What you're seeing on the outside 
It's just the outer working of what's already been happening on the inside of that person. And so when Jesus heals this man, it is a happy day for him. It is a, a joyful day for him. He can hardly keep his joy inside of him. He can hardly keep his mouth shut. He is disobedient. As we read, Jesus commanded him to tell no one, and he immediately began to tell others. So we see two main points here that I want us to pull out of this passage. The first is the deep corruption. The deep corruption. We see within this passage the very deep corruption that exists from leprosy. This is pointing, this is a reminder of the deep corruption that all of us have in our natural state because of sin. It has affected us in every capacity. It has affected our bodies. It has affected our minds. It has affected our desires. It has affected our emotions. We don't think right. We don't act right. We don't feel right. We don't desire right. Everything about us is corrupted. What we need is a deep cleansing. We need a great change to come about us. We are unclean in our natural state. We are a people who are enemies of God. As the Bible says, at enmity with God. That picture of this leper that is put outside of the city is a picture of of who we are in our natural state apart from the grace of God upon us, apart from the, the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ being put to work upon our very souls, positionally changing us from being children of Satan to being children of God, changing us from being in outer darkness to being in light, changing us from being blind to seeing, changing us from being ignorant to having understanding, changing us from being dead to being alive. We need that deep cleansing. There is no other solution but the cleansing work that Christ Jesus offers, offers freely to all who will come to him by grace and through faith. If you will but see your need of Jesus and turn to him. Let's look at this deep corruption that we see. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 5. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I love how he says that. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He had no question in his mind regarding Jesus' ability. He knew Jesus could heal him. It was a question of if Jesus was willing to heal him. You know, pain is something that is not enjoyable. But I will make this argument. Pain is something that is very important in your life. Pain is communicating something to you. Now, yes, sometimes our nervous systems don't work properly. Our bodies don't work properly in this fallen world. And we feel pain at times when we shouldn't. There's other times as we age, we feel more and more pain. And we desire desire not to feel that pain. But pain is communicating something to the body. It's telling you, at least that's the idea of pain, is to tell you that something is is harmful or or something is, is dangerous. When you touch something that's hot, 
You pull away very quickly, just, just naturally. That is your reaction. One of the very sad consequences of leprosy is the fact that people begin to lose their sensation of pain. And so someone with leprosy can touch something that is very hot and not be affected. And so for that exact moment, perhaps that is a more positive sensation for the person, the fact that they're not feeling pain. But it is very dangerous. It is very damaging. Someone with leprosy has been known to be able to cut into their skin all the way down to the bone, through the muscle and the tissue, have blood going out and not even notice it. Someone has to tell them, hey, look, you cut yourself. You've been injured. And this leads to more and more problems in the life of the leper, whereas these damaged parts, they begin to get infected and begin to basically rot on the person. I'm not just saying this to be gross. There's a picture that is here. And there's something that I want you to understand because there is a very direct connection between leprosy and corruption and sin that the author wants you to understand, that you need to understand, which is supported by many other passages in the Scriptures. It's an excellent picture of our corruption to sin. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now you're familiar with this passage. Paul here is talking about the existence of general revelation. You understand this, dear friends. You don't need a Bible to tell you that God exists. That evidence is all around you. The fact that you can see the world around you and understand that the world exists and you can experience the world around you is evidence of God's existence. Paul is making that declaration that all people everywhere know that God exists See, but one of the sad aspects of the world, one of the great effects and consequences of sin is that that which is damaged inwardly about the person begins to manifest itself more and more as that person continues to walk in sin. And that person who begins to walk down this downward spiral of sin At first, when he begins to walk that direction, he is hesitant to do certain behaviors. He has a conscience that affects him, that causes him to be hesitant in sinning in particular ways. But just like leprosy and its effect upon the person and its destructive capacity upon the nervous system, where that person would feel pain at certain points and then it begins to go away because the nerves are dying. So it is with the conscience of the man who is dead in his sin and continues to walk 
down the downward spiral of the path of sin. Down that broad path that Jesus warns about, that many are going down that broad pathway. The conscience becomes seared. The conscience is important just like pain is important. The conscience of the human is important. It is a reminder to you that you are made in the image of God. The fact that you have a conscience, the fact that you can look at the world around you and you can see the evidence of God and you can see the moral law of God all around you, you don't need the Bible. You don't need the Bible to tell you that murdering people is wrong. You don't need the Bible to tell you that stealing from others is wrong. You don't need the Bible to tell you that lying to others is wrong. This is evident. It's evident all around you. But the conscience will become seared. The conscience will become seared. We see this idea communicated as we keep going through Romans chapter 1. Paul says this beginning in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And we have this downward spiral here that is happening even culturally amongst the people where things that would have caused people to blush previously, people don't even wince at. In fact, the, the lack of it within a culture leads people to say, why isn't this particular sin here? We need to get someone who practices this sin in leadership in this area of our country. We see that as we keep going, where they give hearty approval to those who practice these things. But this is the reality of walking in sin and being headlong, intent on violating God's holy law. Man says, I am going to be my own God. I am going to dismiss the Creator that has given me life. I am going to be my own ruler. And that conscience that the Lord gave to the person that had been a curb to sin in the past, even laws that existed within a culture that had been curbs to sin in the past, that people would not walk headlong into their sin. The Lord removes these, and the people walk headlong into their sin. Their conscience is being seared. Those curbs existing no longer being there for the person's conscience is seared just like the leper that's putting his hand into the fire and burning himself. Oh, how much more serious is it, dear friends, to walk with great intentionality into the sinfulness that the culture all around us is calling you to do. 
that the culture is saying, this must be allowed. We must have this. This must not just be allowed. It must be celebrated. It must be forced upon all people everywhere. What you have is a culture in judgment. And this happens individually upon a person, and this can happen culturally as well. Continuing there in verse 27, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Sin, dear friends, is debilitating. Sin is absolutely destructive. And what needs to first and foremost happen is that you see the reality of your sin. You see the fact that you break God's law, that it is destructive to you, that it is destructive to those that you care for. It is destructive to those who you have relationships with. It is destructive to your culture as a whole. Sin is the saddest existence in this world. It's so easy. It's so easy just to walk down the street, just to read the news and say, but I'm not like this person. I mean, seriously, we can look around and we can see people who have not sinned in ways in which we have sinned. Look where that passage ends. Look, it's so easy to say, look, I I haven't got into adultery. I haven't practiced homosexuality. I haven't done these big sins. Look where this ends. Do you see some of these sins that are here that we would think of as not really that big of sins? Gossips? You're not respecting the person? Insolent, haughty, boastful? That is pride, dear friends. Disobedient to parents? That is the fifth commandment. You can't be disobedient to your parents. You're being disobedient to God. Foolish, faithless, heartless. This is a picture of the, of, of the, of the effects of sin, the corruption of sin. It affects us so much, dear friends, that there must be a change We must be changed. I was talking with someone just this last week. Talking about the fact that Jesus said, you must be perfect as my Father is perfect. 
And what does that mean? What do you want? You want to lower it there. You want to make it say, well, he doesn't exactly mean perfect. He means that you'll be better. Well, Jesus does want you to be better. Jesus will make you better. But when he says perfect, he's not talking about just making you a little bit better. You need to be perfect. The wages of sin is death. The first thing that you have to see, that you have to understand, that you must get a picture of is the reality of your circumstance, the reality of your state, the fact that you stand before God hopeless. The man with leprosy that has been put out of the camp, that merely has a white spot upon his head, cannot tell himself, you know, I should be able to go in the city because I'm not like this person over here who is disfigured in this way, who has fingers that are missing, who has parts of his face that are deformed and damaged and has lesions coming off of him. That does not help him in his circumstance. That man over there has had a greater manifestation outwardly of the inward corruption that he has because of leprosy, but the fact is, the man with the white splotches is damaged internally and needs changed. Otherwise, the same is happening to him. Both of those men are outside of the camp. Both of those men are no longer participating in the ceremonial worship in Israel. It doesn't matter that the man who barely has a spot says, I'm not like him. He is outside of the camp he is cut off completely. So what we must see, we must see the seriousness of it because the other man is not the standard. That other man who has a greater manifestation of leprosy upon him is not the standard. The same is true there. That you must not just look at the news and look at others and see the ways in which they have sinned in ways that you do not and say, I'm not like them. That is not the standard. The standard is the perfect righteousness of God. God's moral law, that which is declared in all this creation, that which is very clearly declared within His Word. You must first and foremost Understand your situation in the standard to which you are being compared. We're going to unpack this in the next sermon. But I'm going to mention it here, Romans 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, none is righteous, no, not one. He's talking about our natural state. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. That is our natural state, our natural way of existence. He goes on to say, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues, they used to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The purpose of God's law does not exist so that you can go and find someone else who breaks it in ways that you don't and feel better about yourself. That, that is not the purpose of God's law. You are mishandling 
God's law when you do that. You are creating an unrighteous standard. You are not comparing yourself rightly. The law serves as a mirror that you can see the ways in which you fall short. That is our understanding. You must understand that. But that is the first use that we see our need of a Savior. That you look and you say, I have no other hope. I need cleansing. I need the grace of God. I am in dire straits if I go and stand before the Lord in my current condition. It doesn't matter what sins my parents have done. It doesn't matter what sins the government has done. It doesn't matter what the people that came before me have done. When I stand before the Lord, it will be but me and my sin. And you get no bonus points because someone else sinned more than you. The standard is God's holy law. That perfect standard. They asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He gave them two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You must be obedient in word, in thought, in deed, even from the desires of your hearts. That is the righteous standard. You must love God rightly. You must love people rightly. You must see that you don't do that. There is no hope in calling out the sin of another to justify yourself. This leper saw his state. He saw his hopelessness. He saw himself being outside the camp. He saw the trajectory of his life and that he had no hope, but he saw Jesus. Jesus being the one the means through which he could be cleansed. The means through which he could have a true healing. And not just a, a superficial healing, a true and an actual healing. This deep cleansing. Let's look at that in verses 13 and 14 in Luke 5. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. There is an incredible statement in that passage. I hope you caught it. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He was not to be touched by anyone who did not have leprosy. He, it's quite likely this man had not felt human touch for many, many years. The consequences for him even being this close is that he could have been stoned. Perhaps at this point it says he's full of leprosy. That might have been a relief to him. But note this. Because the people that were there at the time would have noted this as well. He put his hand upon the leper. He said, if you are willing, and Jesus said, I am willing. Be clean. He commanded him. He commanded him to be clean. And that leprosy was obedient to him. Understand this reality that he, he touches him. 
powerful, powerful message. The, the one who ruled, the one who ruled, the one who gave the ceremonial law, Jesus, the one who ruled that this man couldn't be touched is the one who is touching him now, is the one who is giving him life. Do you understand, dear friend, what happens to someone who trusts upon Jesus Christ? Jesus didn't come so that your life would just be easier. It's not as though Jesus came so that while we don't have to practice things like they did in the Old Testament with the ceremonial law, because that was really a lot of work. You'd have to go get these animals and bring them around, and you'd have to slaughter them, and we'd have to do these festivals, and we'd have to go here and dress this way and cut our hair this way and cut our beards this way. Jesus didn't come so that your life would just be easier religiously All of the ceremonies they did were pointing to Christ. Jesus came that you can have life. And what is happening from a legal standpoint, from a legal standpoint, prior to coming to Christ, the wrath of God is over you. At the moment you die, the wrath of God will fall upon you. You will face the consequences for your sin. But the one who trusts upon Jesus Christ, their sin has been imputed to Christ. He has taken that upon him. Jesus was the sacrifice. He was that perfect lamb of God that was given for the people that whoever believes upon him can have life, can be saved, will be cleansed, will be made pure, will no longer be defiled, And that's not all that happens. It's not just that your sin goes to Jesus, because it absolutely does. That's Jesus' passive obedience. He takes that sin upon himself upon the cross. He's the sacrifice. But you also get the righteousness of Jesus. That person that believes upon Jesus, their sin is accounted to Christ, and Christ's righteousness is accounted to them And they will stand before the Lord in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not having the consequences of their own sins and having the benefits of Jesus perfectly fulfilling the law in every way. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. You must see your need of Christ, the necessity of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 Paul says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, do you see that depth? Do you see that beauty that is there, what Jesus has done on our behalf? He says to him, oh Lord, if you are willing. He had no question that Jesus could heal him. He believed Jesus could heal him. He was asking Jesus to heal him. Dear friends, oh, dear friends, please see this. If you will but see your sin, you will see the greatness of your sin. You will see the ways in which your sin has affected you and other people. And you will say you will stop trying to justify yourself. Stop saying, you know what, I'm going to just work harder and that'll make up for what I did over here. Stop telling yourself, I can just do these good deeds and make myself right. 
Stop telling yourself, at least I'm not like this person or like that person. None of this will in any way grant you any righteousness. The sin of another grants you no righteousness. You gain no benefit in your account. Does that work when you run a stop sign and the officer pulls you over and you say, aren't there murderers out there for you to deal with? There absolutely are. But you're violating the sixth commandment by running the stop sign and not caring for the lives of other people. It's the same sin. You just, you're just sinning in a way that is not as significant but still violates the same law. And the sin of another does nothing to help you. You can't stand before a judge and tell the judge about all the sin. The judge knows. That's his job. He sits on the bench. That's all that he does is deal with people who are breaking the law. You don't need to tell him about all the people that are breaking the law. He's aware of it. You're before him because you broke the law. That is our reality as well. If we die in our sin, you will stand before the Lord in your righteousness, which will be of no help, will be of no benefit to you. You need one that would grant you cleansing. You need one that would grant you peace over and over and over. The message was demonstrated through the ceremonial law of the sin of the people and the ways in which the sin of the people separated them from God. But when Jesus came, when Jesus died, that veil was torn. That most holy place was no longer veiled. No longer was there the necessity of the the sacrifices for the sacrifice had come. This is the one to whom all of these sacrifices had pointed. Friends, I pray that you would see this reality, that you would see your need of Jesus. But look at the immediacy of Jesus' work. The immediacy of what he did and immediately the leprosy left him. Luke was a physician. Luke overwhelmingly recognizes the healings that Jesus performed and he gives very specific details about these healings. He is describing him, this man, with Luke's medical understanding. He's describing him as a man who was full of leprosy. A man who, when you look at him from the outside, you see the fullness of the consequences of leprosy upon him. This is a man who was greatly disfigured. He had lesions coming off of him. He likely smelled really, really bad because parts of his body were actually decaying. And he's clean. He's healed immediately. The leprosy is gone. It's not as though, you know, you have these so-called faith healers, right? These so-called faith healers, that for some reason, they're always on television. They're always asking for money. They always have really big crowds. And they're always healing people of things that, that can't be verified, right? They're always, okay, you don't need to take insulin any longer, Oh, really? You've done a test on the person's pancreas to know this. When Jesus was healing people, limbs were growing back. This man was full of leprosy, and it was gone. 
not just the leprosy itself, which was internal, which was inside of his cells, the consequences of the leprosy was gone. The man was fully restored to what he was previously. It's not as though he began to heal, he started to get better. The man was healed immediately. It was gone. That is a picture of what Jesus does for those who come to him. There is an immediate cleansing that takes place. There is an immediate justification that takes place. Your account is clear before the Lord at that time, and there is an immediate, we can even say, sanctification that happens at that time. There is a progressive sanctification. The Lord is going to continue to work within you, although legally you have a right and perfect standing before the Lord because of what Jesus has done in His justifying work that his justifying work is just as if you had never sinned, just as if you had ever done everything right. That is your standing before the Lord. But in reality, there is a sanctifying process that happens in the life of a Christian. There's an immediate change. There's a change immediately, a repentance that happens immediately, and there's an ongoing repentance that happens where the Lord continues to work in you. Which of you that is a Christian cannot attest to this reality of the work of the Lord within your life? 1 John 5, beginning in 1 John 1, beginning in verse 5, talks about this cleansing work that Jesus does. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's the promise that is there. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Not some sin when you're baptized and then more later on. No, no. He cleanses you from all sin. You are completely clean. Remember, the standard is perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. The Lord said, be holy as I am holy. Which of you says, I got that. I'm good. I'm holy as God is holy. No. Our problem is is that we are not we have to be changed. And, and you have a picture here, and, and I so would like to read through Leviticus 14, but it is a really, really long passage, and so I'm not going to read through Leviticus 14. But you have this picture here that I would argue almost as if this leper is being reborn. He goes and he shows himself to the priest, because that, that's what he was supposed to do here. This is a disobedient leper. Verses 15 and 16, but now even more the report about him went abroad and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. That leper was supposed to go to the, he was not supposed to go into the village. He wasn't supposed to walk around Galilee. He wasn't supposed to walk around that area and tell everyone what Jesus had done. First off, because Jesus told him not to do that. But secondly, because in the ceremonial law, There was a way in which the leper was to be reinstated into society. And you were first to go to the priest. And the priest would look at you and verify that you were, in fact, healed. And in his case, it would be obvious 
that he was healed, but even still, there was a process that would happen, and there would be a, a series of very interesting sacrifices where you have one bird that's dead and another bird that's living, and the bird that's living is dipped in the blood of the bird that is dead, and then the leper goes and shaves, and he goes and he washes himself underwater. You basically have a baptism that is happening of this leper, and I think this is very clearly this idea of rebirth, of regeneration of the person that is born again and is changed is very clearly, I believe, pointing forward to what we have and what we see in the new covenant where the Lord is calling the person in and calling the person out of darkness into life and calling the person out of death into life and calling the person to live, to be amongst the people, to have fellowship with God when he had none previously. Just can't help but notice this, this, this reality. And I can't help but notice, and this, I know this is not a point that Luke is trying to make at all, but I can't help but notice this disobedient leper in the reality of us who are saved by Jesus, who have been given so many blessings in Christ Jesus, who have been given life in Christ Jesus. And we still sin in this life. You have the ability not to sin to your Christian. You have the ability to walk in obedience as a Christian. But we forget even for times we believe lies and we walk into sin. And this man, though he was healed greatly, he was disobedient to Jesus. He was disobedient to what Jesus said. He was disobedient to the ceremonial law. It was to go before the priest, and the priest was not to heal him. The high priest, the priest that he went to, didn't have the ability to heal him. He could only declare that he was free from leprosy. But Jesus does both. Jesus is that greater high priest. Jesus is that Lamb of God, the one who has cleansed us from all of our sin, and he not only he not only cleanses us from sin, but he also declares us to be righteous. In Jesus, God is just, and God is justifier. Romans 5, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us the love for us while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Oh, the beauty of what we have in Christ Jesus, the glory of what has been granted to us. We have peace with God. Paul says, you would barely die for a, a, a righteous person. God sent his son to die for his, his enemies. We've been saved from the wrath of God. We have, as Paul says at the beginning of Romans 5, we have peace 
with God. We have been reconciled to God. Do you see that? Do you see the beauty of what is there, the glory of what is there, the greatness of what has been given to you, dear Christian? You have reconciliation. And he'll go on to talk about the fact that you have adoption, adopted into the family of God. One who was cast off, one who was in outer darkness, one who was hopeless, one who was defiled, now made pure, now given life, now residing in the house of God with an inheritance, with an inheritance even waiting for you, dear Christian. Oh, that you would see that, that you would remember that, dear friends, that this would drive you, this would be that which drives you to obedience in Jesus, that you would see the grace that you have been given And that would drive you to walk in obedience. Second verse of Man of Sorrows speaks of what Jesus endured, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And then the verse feet. Guilty, helpless, lost were we, Blameless Lamb of God was He sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah. What a Savior. He became sin who knew no sin. That deep corruption that was innate within us, that which we were born with, that defiled us in every respect, affected our minds, affected our desires, affected our actions. We didn't think right. We didn't want right. We didn't act right. Have been granted a cleansing. Have been granted. Have been made pure. Deep cleansing was granted through Jesus Christ, the power of the blood of Christ. So powerful that even that which is not there is obedient to Him. Let there be light, and there was light. And the Lord commanded the darkness to leave and to life live within you. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God worked within you, and you had life. Dear friends, I, I, I pray that all of you before me would see, would see the seriousness of your life would see the seriousness of of your existence. You are one who has been given life by God. You are one who is called to bear the image of God. That you would see that you err in this respect, that you need God's grace. There's grace is there. There's grace is there for all who will take it, for all who will see their need and turn to Jesus. It is but there if you will come to Him and you will but trust in Him. There is a deep cleansing for that corruption that has affected you in every way, but in Christ, in Christ there is life and there is life.